You're listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au. Thought I might build a little bit on last week's message, which you might recall was entitled Your Father the Devil from uh, John chapter 8, the uh, tail end of John chapter 8. Before getting into this week's message, I'll just recap a little bit of last week's. Just get adjusted a little bit. The thrust of my message last week is that the devil is a real and a really powerful enemy. He is the enemy of God. He's an enemy of God's people. He's an enemy of everything that God has created. But he is nothing like the cartoon character that often comes to mind when we think of the devil or when we watch TV, for for that matter. But he is a malevolent being that is more like what the movies like The Exorcist portray. As we saw from Scripture, the devil was once a holy angel, and one of the holy angels surrounding the throne of God. But it seems that with the creation of man, he saw an opportunity to elevate his already high status, and he sought to become the object of man's worship. I will ascend to heaven, it says in Isaiah 14, possibly speaking of the devil. Above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds and I will make myself like the most high. It's Isaiah 14. Um, We'll be a bit all over the place in the Bible today, so you probably won't be able to keep up with us. But um, the devil's efforts to undermine his creator have been largely successful so far. Most of the world is under his sway. It's not for nothing that the book of Revelation calls him the deceiver of the whole world. We also discovered last week that the devil's known by several different names and descriptions in the Bible, none of which are good or flattering descriptions, and all of them speak of lies and destruction and death, his stock in trade. He's called the accuser, a slanderer, a serpent, dragon, evil one, adversary, and many, many more names. Then last week, we also considered the devil's ontology, a a big word, but basically means what makes the devil the devil. The devil's a spiritual being. He doesn't have a physical form. He's a fallen being. He's no longer the perfect and holy creature that he was created to be. He's a powerful being, as evidenced by scripture verses that tell us, for example, that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. He is an intelligent being. He knows scripture inside out, and he knows how to twist it to suit his own purposes. He's a malicious being, intent on destruction. He is a created being which limits his power and limits where he can be at any one point in time, and limits his knowledge too, for that matter. He is a restricted being, He is only able to do that which God permits him to do and nothing more. And of course, he is a defeated being. Now these characteristics of the devil also apply to the demons that are under his control. And demons are what I want to look at today. It's interesting and uh, it's a thought that I only had as I was preparing this message that it's only at the start of the Jesus ministry that the devil attacked him directly. In the early chapters of the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke, the devil confronts Jesus with a series of temptations. 
Now, should Jesus accept the devil's offers and his suggestions, then Jesus' work would have failed before it got off the ground. But Jesus, as we know, prevailed, not succumbing to the enemy's temptations. And another interesting thought I had is that uh, this is an important one for us to keep in mind as Christians, is that Jesus, after he was baptised and he heard his father's voice say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, and being full of the Holy Spirit, it says, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. The reason it's important for us to keep in mind is it's not always our failures that cause us to suffer an attack from the enemy. Sometimes the attacks come hardest and hottest right on the heels of our successes, of our spiritual highs. As strange as it may seem, sometimes our highest points leave us most open and vulnerable to attack. Be warned. Jesus faced it. We will face it. But back to the point, the devil attacked Jesus directly at the beginning of his ministry. When that failed, it tells us in Luke 4 that the devil departed from him until an opportune time. His next attack would be indirect. It would be through the person of Judas Iscariot. The devil saw his opportune time three years later and entered into Judas to cause him to betray Jesus. In between, we actually don't hear very much about the devil at all. Most of Jesus' interactions with his spiritual enemies are interactions with demons, not with the devil himself. Which leads me, of course, to what I said I want to talk today, demons, which are sometimes called unclean spirits in the Bible. I want to tell you a little bit about demons today because Christians tend to one of two extremes in their thinking about demons. Some ignore them entirely, believing they don't actually exist. Or maybe that if they do exist, that they present no threat to Christians. This is badly misguided and will leave them open to all sorts of attacks and deception. And they'll have no defence against an enemy that they don't believe is a threat. The other extreme, of course, is that they become too focused on them. We've known people like this who have been so caught up in the concept of demons and demonology and dealing with demons that they see a demon behind every bush and behind every illness and behind every attack or every problem that they have. They become so obsessed with demons that they tend to lose sight of the gospel and of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, demons are happy with either extreme. Now, surely our pattern for thinking about and dealing with demons should be that of Jesus, who I might point out clearly believed that demons were real. Jesus didn't go looking for them, but neither did he shy away from them when he was confronted by them. We would, be, we would do well to adopt the same attitude, the same approach to demons as Jesus did. Demons are real. Demons are a threat. But demons should hold no fear for us. Similar to the devil, there's little in the Bible about the origin of demons. They too just appear in the text without much explanation. The fact that the Bible presents very little detailed information about demons or for the, about the devil for that matter should be a warning to us not to try to develop a 
too deep and complex theology about demons. Interestingly, the devil's never called a demon in Scripture. The only demon who's ever actually named is in Revelation 9.11, Apollyon, who is the angel of the bottomless pit. In a nutshell, though, demons appear to be angels who, although they were created good, joined with the devil in his rebellion against God and are now fallen beings tirelessly at work to destroy every good thing created by God and especially mankind created in the image of God. It would also seem that they're subservient to the devil. Jesus referred to the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels in Matthew twenty-five forty-one. The Pharisees, of course, accused Jesus when he's casting demons out of people, of being Beelzebul, the prince of demons. There seem to be a number of different types of demons in Scripture too. Some of them inhabit the heavenly realms, but appear to be free to operate on the earth. That's in Ephesians 3 and Ephesians 6, you'll see about those. There are others that are so evil that they've been bound in chains in the darkness of Tartarus, awaiting final judgment. Second Peter 2, 4 and Jude 1, 6 Tell us, for if God didn't spare the angels who sinned, but threw them down into Tartarus and delivered them to be kept in chains of darkness until judgment. There's still others who are bound in the bottomless pit, awaiting to be released at some time in God's timeline, according to Revelation 9. And following those ones, also in Revelation 9, there's yet another, a group of four who are bound in chains at the river Euphrates, Revelation tells us, who will be released at some point to lead some sort of demonically inspired army against mankind. Demons are a nasty bunch. Make no bones about it. They are enemies and they are implacable foes of God and God's people. Now sometimes... Not always, but sometimes, demons can be the cause of physical ailments and disease. Matthew records an interesting event in Matthew chapter 9, where a demon-possessed man who was unable to speak was brought to Jesus. When the demon had been driven out, the man spoke, and the crowds were amazed, saying, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. Mark records a fascinating event where a desperate father brings his son to Jesus for healing. The boy is unable to speak or hear, but he also exhibits signs and symptoms of what we would probably diagnose as epilepsy. This poor lad is thrown to the ground whenever the demon seizes him, foaming at the mouth, grinding his teeth and becoming stiff as a board. This has been happening to this poor lad from infancy. Sometimes the demon throws him into the fire, or into water in an effort to kill the child. Jesus, of course, knows the correct diagnosis, and he knows the correct treatment for this apparent epilepsy. He proceeds to command the demon to come out of the boy. It comes out at Jesus' command, shrieking and convulsing the boy, and leaving him apparently lifeless on the ground. But Jesus takes the lad by the hand and lifts him up to his feet completely healed. There is another I'll quickly touch on. The poor woman Jesus calls a daughter of Abraham who has been bent over, crippled for 18 years by a demonic spirit. 
The fact that Jesus calls this woman a daughter of Abraham suggests to me that she was a woman of genuine faith. Remember, last week we looked at the Jews who had loudly declared that they were sons of Abraham, descendants of Abraham. But Jesus would have none of it, telling them they were sons of the devil instead. But here he calls this woman a daughter of Abraham. Anyway, Jesus touches her, telling her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. Now, typically, of course, the Pharisees were more concerned that Jesus healed on the Sabbath than they were that this poor woman had been crippled for much of her life. And they complain indignantly about it. But Jesus accuses them of hypocrisy and asks them, Ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? Now, this doesn't mean that all physical ailments are demonic. But it does mean that they are all the result of the fall in some way. In fact, the Bible does distinguish between conditions that have a physical and a demonic cause. Matthew 4.24 tells us Jesus' fame spread throughout all of Syria and they brought to him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains those oppressed by demons, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Now the Gospels do show us plenty of instances of health problems that have a demonic source, uh, from mental illness to uncontrolled fits to antisocial behaviour. One of the things that seems fairly clear to me about demons, and about the devil too, is that because they don't have a physical body, they seek a human body to inhabit in some way. And when they find that body, they wreak all sorts of havoc and destruction on it. Now I talked last week as well about the devil's strategy to lie and to deceive. His greatest power lies in deception. It's been that way since the Garden of Eden and his cohort of demons operate in the same way. In fact, one of the earliest references to the activity of these fallen angels is in the book of Judges, relatively early in the history of the Israelites, where it tells us that God sent God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem, and the leaders of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech. That's Judges 9.23. Now have a listen to a couple of these other verses and see if you see anything in common with that first one. 1 Samuel 16.14 tells us, Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. 1 Kings 22 tells us, The Lord said, Who will entice Ahab, that he may go up and fall at Ramoth-Gilead? And one said one thing, and another said another. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord, saying, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, By what means? And he said, I will go out and will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, you are to entice him and you shall succeed. Go out and do so. Now, I'm not sure if you notice, but in each of these instances, the evil spirit was sent by God to cause trouble and to deceive people. What does that do to your theology, I wonder? You think that doesn't happen today? You think that doesn't happen post-cross? Where do you think all the false prophets and false teachers of today get their inspiration? 
It still happens because God is sorting out his sheep from the goats. He's testing to see who will stay true to his word and who will be led astray. Anyway, the point is that the demon's intent is to cause strife by deception and their strategy has never changed. Demons are not just content to deceive or inflict sickness. They also stir up opposition and attacks through whatever means necessary. That's what Paul experienced everywhere he went, an evil spirit sent by God. Paul actually describes at one time as a messenger of Satan, a demonic force that was sent to harass him. But it was a messenger given him by God. And it was given him because of the great revelation that he'd received from God. In a way, you could say it was given him because of the great spiritual high that Paul had experienced. With that revelation, there also came a great risk of pride in Paul's heart. So Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 12, A thorn in the flesh was given me, and God refused to take it away, even though he asked three times. Now there's some debate about what this thorn in the flesh, what form this thorn in the flesh took. Some think it was a physical ailment, but I think it was the opposition that was stirred up everywhere Paul went to preach. Opposition that resulted in beatings, stonings and imprisonment. It was a demonic opposition trying to silence Paul. Paul writes at the end of that particular passage, for the sake of Christ then, I am content with weaknesses insults, hardship, persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Don't be surprised to find demons still seeking ways and means to attack Christians today. They do it both directly and they do it indirectly through other people. Now demons, like their master the devil, are wicked to the core. They are relentlessly and implacably opposed to you. You don't reach a truce with demons. You don't negotiate a ceasefire. The sooner you come to terms with that, the sooner you'll develop the spine to resist and overcome their influence in your life. Is it possible to solve a demonic problem, to deal with the harassment and the oppression that they bring? Certainly it's not possible in the way I've heard some people try to do it. I remember reading a report a number of years ago about people who tried to keep demons out of their house by wrapping the whole building in glad wrap. I know another person, I know personally another person who was frightened to look out of her windows during a thunderstorm in case demons entered the house. The curtains were kept firmly drawn every time there was a storm as if that provided any protection. Others have tried to physically beat demons out of an afflicted person, or splash holy water on them, or chant special words in an attempt to drive demons out. They're all a waste of time. The seven sons of Sceva, Jewish exorcists in the first century, learnt that the hard way when they tried to drive out demons by that Jesus whom Paul preached, it says in Acts 19. It was a disastrous and a hilarious attempt 
from our perspective at least. For the evil spirit answered these seven sons of Sceva, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognise, but who are you? The demonically empowered man then jumped on them and beat the snot out of all seven of them, leaving them naked and bleeding. You know, demons can impart superhuman strength to a person. So what was the problem for the seven sons of Sceva? Problem was they were operating not from a position of relationship with Christ, but purely out of what they'd heard that someone else was doing. It's like we might read a book by someone about demonology or hear a podcast about how to drive out demons and not being a Christian might try to do the same thing ourselves. Deadly territory. Paul had no problems with demons. He knew his position in Christ. He knew the authority that that gave him. And he knew that every ounce of his authority came from the work that Jesus Christ did on that cross, defeating the power of the enemy. That's precisely where our authority lies over demons too. It's in the cross and it's in the name of Jesus Christ who has saved us. The seven sons of Sceva, as I said, had only heard about this. They had no relationship with Jesus. They didn't know Christ in any saving sense. Brothers and sisters, if you've been born again, if you know Jesus Christ, not just know about him, but know him relationally, then you too have the same authority and the same ability to deal with demonic oppression in your life. And, I might add, in the life of others too. And Mel and I could tell you plenty of stories of demonic oppression and bondage that we've been privileged to help people escape from. Some of you here today have experienced that personally. And some of the stories we have would make your hair curl. It's neither the time nor the place to go into it. Another time, maybe we will, or privately we might discuss some of this. But suffice to say, Jesus dealt a decisive blow to the devil and the demons at the cross. The event that they thought was their victory over Christ was, in fact, their defeat. On that cross, the very sins that have kept us all enslaved from time immemorial, were dealt with, penalty paid, punishment served by another. Jesus dealt with the same sins that have kept us in bondage all our lives, kept us under the power and the influence of the devil and his demons. When Jesus destroyed the work of the devil, he also broke the power that those demons have over us. It's not to say they've given up the fight. You know that. If you're a Christian, you know the demons don't give up their attacks on you. They'll continue to harass, attack and attempt to deceive you for as long as you walk this earth. But we have been given the tools to resist and the tools to defeat the enemy. 
Let me warn you, though, that none of these tools will do you any good if you haven't put your trust in Jesus Christ to begin with. If you haven't done that, you're in the same boat as the seven sons of Sceva. As Christians, we no longer need to leave ourselves open to their first weapon of attack, lies and deception, for we have the word of God to reveal truth to us. If only we would read it. If only we would learn it. If only we would believe it. And we have the armour of God to protect us from attack and to help us to return fire. There's the build of truth, the knowledge of what God has spoken and knowing that God speaks only truth. The righteousness of Christ imputed to us is the breastplate of righteousness. The shoes of the gospel of peace prepare us to take the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ to those who have not heard it, thus taking back some of the enemy's territory. The shield of faith will protect us from the flaming darts of accusation and doubt and confusion that the enemy fires at us. You know, if you are in Christ, as the Bible talks about, if you're a believer, you're in Christ. You have the shield of Jesus Christ surrounding you. What fiery dart can penetrate him? You have the helmet of salvation to protect our mind, our thought life, and giving us the assurance and the confidence of the faithfulness of Jesus Christ to save us. We have the sword of the Spirit to enable us to go on the offensive against this enemy. And of course we pray in the Spirit, keeping our communication lines open with our Father in Heaven. With these tools, we have nothing to fear from demons. The same defeat that their leader suffered, they too suffered. Their power to deceive has been stripped from them. They can, and as I said, they will attack and harass you, but they cannot possess you. You belong to the Holy Spirit. You've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. You are owned by God. Nothing else can own you. Nothing else can possess you. They can no longer control you. Submit yourselves to God, James wrote. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. James might as well have written, resist the demons and they will flee from you too. The authority given you as an ambassador of Jesus Christ is greater than all their power combined. It's a very real battle that we're in. It's a battle we can't opt out of. There are no conscientious objectors sitting on the sidelines of this war. If you're not actively opposing this enemy, you're serving him, you're playing into his hands, you're making life easy for him. And he won't return the favour. Brothers and sisters, if you have a genuine faith in Jesus Christ, if you're not actively pursuing and indulging in sin, you too can tell these demons to lot to go, to leave you alone. They have no legal right to accuse you. 
you have an advocate in heaven, someone who pleads your case before the Father all day, every day. They have no legal right. You were bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. His blood shed on your behalf broke the power of the enemy over you. You can walk free and for some people it may be the first time in their lives they've been able to walk free. But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord who gives us the victory in his name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word tells us that we are more than conquerors through Christ and that nothing, neither angels nor demons, neither anything in all of creation can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Lord, we stand on that as believers, as your sons and daughters, Lord. We stand in faith on the work of the cross, on the salvation wrought for us by Jesus Christ in taking the penalty for sin on our behalf, on rising again, revealing to us that the penalty is paid in full and acceptable in your sight, Father. And Lord, as ambassadors now of Jesus Christ, we go out into this world with the power and the authority that he has given us. Lord, not at any time a power or authority that's inherent in us, Lord, but all from him. And Lord, a power that can never be defeated. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Lord, as believers, as people who have put our trust in Jesus Christ, we know that the gates of hell will not prevail against us either. So Lord, we thank you for the work that Jesus has done on our behalf. We thank you, Lord, that the work he does can never be undone. And Lord, we put our trust afresh in him this morning. And Lord, we ask that you will write truth onto our hearts, that you will help us to understand the armour of God so that we can apply it every day. The righteousness of Christ that's imparted to us, Lord, as he took our sins upon him. The shield of faith that keeps us firmly in his, his embrace and all the other parts of the armour, Lord. We thank you for those things. We thank you for the relationship we have with you. We thank you for the, the open lines of communication we have. And Father, every day, Lord, we pray that you will conform us more to the image of Christ, that Holy Spirit, that you'll prompt us, you will nudge us at times when we're distracted or complacent or let our guards down or become enticed by the lies of the enemy to sin. Holy Spirit, would you prompt us? Would you keep us on the short leash, Lord, so that we may bring glory to Jesus Christ, that we may bring 
freedom to those who are in bondage, Lord. That we may continue the work on this earth that Jesus began by preaching the good news. And Lord, as we do that, as we share the name of Jesus Christ and the power of Jesus Christ with people, Lord, would you tear down the walls that have been erected? Would you break the power of the enemy over other people's lives so that Jesus Christ may be glorified, magnified, lifted up and worshipped across this world? We pray it in his mighty and precious name. Amen. Thanks for listening to City Edge Church. For more information, go to cityedgechurch.com.au.